This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Do you know why you do what you do? This is one of the most important questions you can ask yourself and your team. Do you know why you do what you do? In fact, I would guess that many of you know of or have watched Simon Sinek's well-known TED Talk entitled Find Your Why. Now, if you haven't watched that, I encourage you to do that. In this TED Talk, he talks all about this very question of why you do what you do, and, and, and you need to find your why, and that's the beginning point. It's the foundation, if you will, for any successful venture. And certainly in the nonprofit world, I would say finding out what your why is is absolutely critical. Now, the other thing I would encourage you to do is check out a new book. It's entitled 40 Laws of Nonprofit Impact. The author is Derek Timmerman, and Derek is my guest today on the show. Now, in his book, he spells out what he believes are 40 key laws that will help you become more successful as a nonprofit leader. Now, Derek is the founder of Sparrow Nonprofit Solutions. It's a nationwide consulting firm helping nonprofits maximize their world-changing impact. In addition to coaching nonprofit professionals at all levels, and prior to founding Sparrow, Derek was a management consultant at McKinsey & Company and a U.S. Army intelligence officer with two combat deployments to Iraq. I know you're going to enjoy hearing from Derek today. Now, one other thing, I would love to find out where are you listening to this podcast from? In other words, if you're listening to this podcast outside the U.S. in particular, I would love to know. And here's why. Based on my latest report, a growing number of you are listening to the show from outside the U.S. And just for purely for fun, I would love to find out where you're downloading or listening to this podcast from. And then secondly, I would love to hear from all of you what guests would you most like me to have on the show? I'd really be curious to, we have some great guests on the show, but you may have some really good suggestions. Who are the guests you'd most want to have on the show? Let me know. And you can simply do that by sending me an email and just send the email to nonprofitleadershippodcast at gmail.com. Again, it's nonprofitleadershippodcast at gmail. All right, on to the show. Enjoy. Well, Derek, thanks so much for being on the show. So glad you can be here today. I would love to have you start out and just share a bit of your story. You really do have an interesting story. And as we will dive into your book here in a little bit and experience a bit more of um, some of the things you will share in your book, but I think my audience would really benefit from hearing a bit more about your story and your background. So maybe we could start with that. Well, Rob, first off, it's such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Really an honor. I love your podcast and really get a lot from it myself. So uh, it's an honor to be here. Uh, My story. So yeah, I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, went to high school there. That was where my, one of my first nonprofit experiences was. Uh, As I share in the intro of the book, my senior class was getting ready to go on a trip to Vail actually from North Carolina. So big, long long trip. trip. Yeah, right. And, and a pretty affluent trip in my parents' mind. So they, they basically said, there is no way you're taking a senior trip to Vail, Colorado to go skiing. You're staying here and you're volunteering. 
So I was none too pleased by that result, but <laughs> I, you know, like, like a good son, I, I complied and uh, ended up doing a week of volunteering at a nonprofit called Lifespan. And that was where I met Peter, who was 20 years old, looked like he was 10. His body was contorted and gnarled his hands most of all. And when I would spend time with Peter at this public school room called the St. Mark's program within lifespan, Peter would grab my hand. That was all, his was all all gnarled up. He would grab mine and look at it an inch away from his face. And I believe to this day, it was because he, you know, he, he wanted to see what a perfect hand looked like. And he just was examining it. That to me was the start of my nonprofit journey. It took me a while to get back to it. I ended up going to West Point for my college. September 11th was my senior year. So I ended up deploying twice to Iraq as a military intelligence oh, wow. officer, yeah. five years in the military. And after that, ended up going into a consulting firm called McKinsey and Company. I guess they're called the big five consulting firms yeah. where you swoop in for you know an engagement of three to six months, help a big company solve a big problem, and then you move on to another one. Well, that was growing a little bit soul-crushing, traveling Monday through Thursday. So I come back Thursday nights and on Friday and Saturday, I do pro bono engagements with nonprofits using some of the same McKinsey stuff I've learned, the same frameworks, the same transformation you know, uh, systems and everything we, we use with McKinsey with Fortune 500 companies. I would actually take those to the nonprofit world and help them make an impact. And I was getting so much more soul food out of working with nonprofits that really, I, I knew that my career between Peter and that experience, I knew that I needed to work with nonprofits full-time. So founded Sparrow Nonprofit Solutions as a, uh, an organization that helps nonprofits maximize their world-changing impact. Love it. And we're going to talk a little bit more about your organization, but we also want to talk about your book. You have a new book out called 40 Laws of Nonprofit Impact. And obviously that story, love that story, by the way. Thank you for sharing that. I think many of us in the nonprofit sector have had a similar story in terms of something that changed us and impacted us so deeply that it literally shaped the rest of your career path, even if it took a while to make it, you know, your full-time job. So thank you for that context. Okay, now to your book, 40 Laws of Nonprofit Impact. I encourage my listeners, by the way, to check out this book. We'll give you an opportunity for a link. And then, of course, on the site, when you, you know, listen to this, in the show notes will be a link to the book. But there's several questions I want to ask you, Derek, about it because you bring up a lot of good things in it. It's a very meaty book a lot to it, a lot of content. The first chapter you entitled, Know Why You Exist. And it reminds, I think all of us, that that whole title reminds of that great message that Simon Sinek, that TED Talk he did was entitled, Find Your Why. And I think this is a really good question that we always ought to be asking ourselves personally, and certainly nonprofit organizations should be doing that. And I do agree that the answer to that question of the why for your organization, it's absolutely critical. You don't have a clear why, then you may not want to be the CEO or executive director of your nonprofit, right? You want to know what the why is. So in your opinion, why is this clarity so important for the success of nonprofits? What's been your experience? Yeah, no, I I appreciate that. Really, clarity is what we're talking about. And in the book, what I do with each of the chapters, each of the 40 laws, I start out with a story from nonprofit history. It's kind of like, we may not realize this, or those new to the nonprofit space may not realize it, but there's like a there's a lore to nonprofit life that it be you'd be well served to to read up on. And, and one of those key pieces of lore to me, and something I, I think should be required reading for every nonprofit leader every single year, is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from Birmingham Jail. Uh, if you want to read Good one 
thing that actually embodies everything we're about to say about clarity, that's it. I mean, here's Martin Luther King Jr. in Birmingham jail, taking fire, not just from those who are you know, against racial equality, but those, those actually who are on his side. He's actually taking flack from folks who are supposed to be on his side, and he's writing this letter to them. What comes out of that is really foundational and situational clarity. I talk about this in the book that you want to be clear foundationally on what your version of your world story is. You know, well, how do you explain the world around you? What's your take on you know the world and our place in it? And a lot of that letter from Birmingham Jail is actually Martin Luther King Jr. expounding on what his world story is. And then the second half of that letter is situational clarity. What's going on in the country at the time, in Birmingham? Why was he brought in as a leader? You know, what do we need to do? All of this is his clarity. And really, he wasn't questioned again. It was just months later that he had the, I have a dream speech that that, that letter made possible. So if, if I was to give one concrete thing that I think your listeners could take away on this topic of situational clarity, there's actually an anatomy to a winning mission statement that I, I don't think is heralded or talked about enough. And it's really three parts. First part is in uh, core action. So what is that infinitive phrase, to something, to verb, that is what your organization does? The organization care is a good example of this, to serve individuals and families in the poorest communities in the world. So to serve, that's the first part, the core action. Second part is a core object. You know, what is that acting upon? Well, in this case, care individuals and families to serve individual and families. The third part is the differentiator. So in the poorest communities in the world, lots of mission statements get their missions down to less than 10 words using this anatomy. Would ask your listeners, do you have that clear, concise of a mission statement? Doesn't get into the how, doesn't get into what you do. It's just the why you exist. Core action, core object, and differentiator. I like that. That's really good. And clarity is so important. Well, related to that, you also talk about the critical decisions for organizations to define the win for the organization. And I really like how you worded that, to define the win. Perhaps because I love sports and when playing sports, it's very clear about the win. You know what it takes to win and you have a scoreboard to kind of prove that, right? Now, at the risk of contradicting myself, if you will, from what we just talked about, first of all, let me just say, I'm, I completely agree, like having a clear mission and vision is so absolutely critical, full stop. Like, I believe that. Now, having said that, I've also found this to be true with a lot of nonprofits. Maybe you have too, Derek, when you've consulted with them or worked with them, is that sometimes we put so much time and we almost overanalyze what the mission should be and the vision, the strategic plan and your values. And you start listing all these things and people get really involved in the specific details that all of a sudden you kind of lose the, the main idea. Like, what are you about? Going back to clarity. And by you saying define the win, to me, that is so helpful because I think it quickly enables everybody in your organization, from a volunteer to you know the CEO, to know exactly, okay, what does it mean to win for this organization? And so I like how it cuts through the fog, so to speak, of sometimes when we overcomplicate this process of trying to figure out you know, mission, vision, values, and get really, really detailed with that. So again, I think we need both, but I like your clarity on define the win and how you word that. So Let's talk about it a little bit. What have you found as to how nonprofits can define their win and why is it so important that they actually do have a definition for winning? I find that nonprofit leaders never 
failed to surprise me. And I, I, that's probably the, the truth with you as well, is, is nonprofit leaders are full of surprises. The biggest one, honestly, that I come across in working with nonprofit leaders, I'm so surprised that so few can actually put their finger on what is the fundamental unit of impact for their nonprofit. The fundamental unit of impact. Now, what do I mean by that? So let's say, Rob, you and I decided together to start a nonprofit. I'm here in Colorado. I'm based in Denver. A lot of hiking, love getting out on trails. Let's say you and I decided to start a nonprofit to conserve. Let's use the formula for what we just said, to conserve public nature trails in Colorado. So core action to conserve, core object, nature trails, differentiator in Colorado. So let's say that's our mission. What would our fundamental unit of impact be? In other words, what would be that pebble of impact that we want to stack pebble on pebble to create this huge mountain of impact over the years? Well, as we think about it, you and I, as we talk about this, let's say that we came to the decision that to conserve public nature trails in Colorado, we want to keep one mile of trail free of debris, free of trash, free of man-made litter, all of it. So one mile of trail that's maintained week over week, that's clean and debris-free. So that's our fundamental unit of impact. If we know that, that's our pebble, it's the mountain. So in three to five years, what do we want that mountain of impact to look like for our nonprofit? Well, we could say 2,500, and that's just arbitrary. We've talked about it with our board. We've discussed it. We've had workshops, but we've determined that 2,500 miles of clean, debris-free public nature trails is the win. That's what we're defining as the win three years from now. In 2025, that's what we're maintaining, 2,500 miles. So I really am shocked at how few nonprofits can do what we just did for that nonprofit. And maybe I would ask your listeners, really do some, some hard thinking. What is that fundamental unit of impact that pebble and what what size of the mountain are you trying to grow over the next three to five years? And I like that term, fundamental unit of impact. That's a really good, that's portable. Like, I, yeah, I like that. Um, and defining the win is so important. Okay, another law you talk about in your book, law number six is give to gain. And in that chapter, you talk about the vulnerability and generosity that we need to have as leaders specifically and in organizations, you hope to create a culture of vulnerability and generosity. So why did you select these two attributes? Why are they so important for the success of one's nonprofit? Yeah, I really have tried to become a student of this thing called trust in my work with nonprofits. And you can look out there and find there are a lot of trust equations, Rob, that are out there available. And you know, really, all it boils down to, all of these trust equations that try to make formulas, everything... These are the two components that I find most common that make up, you know, what is this thing called trust? We need trust in fundraising. We need trust with volunteers. We need trust with our board. Trust is the currency of all leadership, really, but especially nonprofit leadership where we, you know, we have the public's trust that we're actually using the funds that, you know, we're being subsidized with to make the world a better place. So when it comes to trust, yeah, these are the two fundamentals and you could even put them together to say that a nonprofit leader needs to have a vulnerable generosity and a generous vulnerability. So what do I mean by that? Vulnerable generosity would be coming to the situation, admitting that you're not the end-all, be-all answer you know, that the world needs. You're approaching things with a vulnerable generosity. You know, I, I, 
I have lots of weaknesses. I have you know, lots of things that I'm not great at, but I can make a small contribution in my own way. And this is how I'm going to do it with the work of this nonprofit and with the leadership capabilities that I do have to bring to the table. And you also approach it with a generous vulnerability. I think we've all had that friend or family member who comes to life with a vulnerability that's them focused. You know, it's, it's like the, it's complaining about what's going on in their life. It's all about them. Woe is me. That's not the vulnerability or authenticity we're talking about. Generous vulnerability is one that, you know, shares authentically in a vulnerable way, in a way that's others focused. So it's, it's sharing things that actually have, you know, is, is helpful to others. And that's really the test as a nonprofit leader, I think, is, you know, is this way that I'm about to be vulnerable, helpful in some way to others? So really that's it, Rob, is these are the two components of trust. And as nonprofit leaders, we are trust brokers at the most fundamental level. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Arts Midwest. They have launched a new podcast called Filling the Well. The Filling the Well podcast has been created to nourish, provoke, and inspire. Hear from creative change makers as they share their takes on how to shift power, avoid burnout, build community, share resources, and advocate for support. You can visit artsmidwest.org slash filling the well. Again, that's artsmidwest.org slash filling the well. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I want to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. Now, finally, if you want to get my monthly email update that contains more resources in addition to these episodes, it's really easy. Just go to my website at nonprofitleadershippodcast.org and simply type your email address in the top right-hand box, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. And this way, you'll never miss any of the interviews or extra content from this show. And if you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email me. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. No, I couldn't agree with you more about trust. It's absolutely foundational for nonprofit leaders. And it's interesting you mentioned about vulnerability. You know, Brene Brown is that famous, you know, very famous person now, speaker, podcast host. And that's one of her big themes is vulnerability and leadership. And I don't know, you know, I've been a leader for a while. You have been too. I'd say in the last five to 10 years, to me, that's a new emphasis that I would say 20 years ago was not on anybody's radar. At least I never heard these, you know, great speakers that talk about leadership or even books that were written. They didn't talk about vulnerability back then. I remember even growing up and watching other leaders. I felt like that vulnerability was not something you wanted necessarily as a leader because you wanted to be strong. You wanted to be, you know, have all the answers. And I think people realized, no, actually, most leaders, even when they weren't vulnerable, they didn't have all the answers. And so it's interesting how that's a new part of, I think, today's world. If you're not vulnerable as a leader, I think you're right. I think you're not going to have the influence that you desire. 100%. And it's the distinction between a narcissistic vulnerability and a generous vulnerability is an important one. And it's one that's often lost in the conversation. You know, not all authenticity or vulnerability is created equal. If it's a self-focused, self-oriented, narcissistic vulnerability that just talks about me and my issues and, you know, lets the world bear the weight of that, 
that's not helping things. And but a generous vulnerability, I think, is what Brene Brown's talking about there. It's a vulnerability that helps others and lets people know the real you. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. All right, let's go to culture. I've talked a lot of my guests actually on the show about the importance of an organization's culture. In fact, I've mentioned this also in those interviews that when it comes to people choosing where to work in today's world, uh, there's been studies now on this and articles that people don't just look at salary anymore. They're actually looking for the right kind of culture that they want to be a part of. Now, you talk about assembling your dream team is one of the chapters you talk about. So could you share a little bit more about how do you go about building that dream team while keeping an eye on the culture you're creating? How can nonprofits get better at this? Yeah, honestly, Rob, this is, again, this is where the history of the nonprofit world really factors in. I I think the story that I use in that chapter is of the founders of NAMI, National Alliance for the Mentally Ill. And, And the way they were founded is it was actually two moms, Harriet Shetler and Beverly Young, who just got together for a lunch and talked about, you know, just the the hardships they were experiencing as parents, as caregivers to adult children with mental illness. And they decided to expand the group and just see, you know, this lunch was so encouraging to us. I wonder how big this could be. I wonder if there's others. So they, they assembled, I think it was 13 other parents and caregivers at a nightclub in 1977 to just talk through, you know, what, what, you know, what could we do with each other for each other? And out of that 13 people, the uh, it was AMI at that time. They added the N later, but they had, ended up starting the Alliance for the Mentally Ill. And, and really, it was they decided together these thirteen to throw a conference. Again, they thought, "Hey, let's try to get thirty-five people on board." They put the word out, and two hundred eighty-four people showed up to the first conference of NAMI. So I, I say all that to say that assembling your dream team takes on this kind of organic thing that starts with really the who of who is going to be this group that you're going to build this organization with. An incredible book, one that's rocked my world. I I read it all the time, but this book, that's high praise to say that a book rocked. This book is called Get Together. You probably know the podcasters who lead the Get Together podcast, Rob. Uh, I would love to meet them at some point someday, but they actually took all the results of that podcast. These three authors who had built communities themselves they use the, the interviews from the Get Together podcast to write this book. Incredible. You'll probably do the same one day with the interviews from this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd like to. That's funny you say that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no. But Get Together, they give the absolute blueprint of how to build a community with others. That's their main thesis. Build with, not build for. So that's the answer to your question, I think, on culture, Rob, is, is rather than have it be this sort of control tower view where you're building the culture from on high... You're writing the principles down. No, take all that energy and focus on who you're building this thing with and the culture will take care of itself. Very cool. No, I like that. I really like that approach and culture is so important. Let's go to another law. Law number 16, you uh, state it this way, get more of what you platform. In fact, you open that chapter with the great story of Eunice Kennedy Shriver and how the Special Olympics were started. And uh, just as a side note, it's kind of fun. I've had been super lucky to have both Tim and Mark Shriver on this show. I've gotten to know both of them personally, and I loved your story, and I loved the legacy that Eunice Kennedy Shriver has passed on to not only her sons, but just to that whole organization. Think about its impact to the entire world. Now, your law that you mentioned here in Law 16 is all about who you decide to highlight and focus on in your organization. In your words, you would say, who do you decide to put on your platform? 
So how best can nonprofits do this while being culturally sensitive and affirming at the same time? Yeah, the genius of that story, Rob, I think, in what Eunice Kennedy Shriver did was, and she got a glimpse of it and went with it, is she actually held the first sort of proto-Special Olympics in her backyard. And she invited the press to come look and see. And she was so amazed at the press's reaction. Jaws were dropping, photos were snapping, because the press just did not believe that this population of disabled kids were able to be worked with in this way, that, that they actually would have fun and delight and relish the opportunity to run around and just be kids and play. And she took that and thought, okay, I need to scale this surprise and delight to the rest of the world. So surprise and delight was sort of the red thread that she followed in order to get more of what you platform. You see that even today, that what the Special Olympics does, documentaries, photos, bios, blog posts, it's all embracing that surprise and delight of here's a population that has maybe historically been thought of, let's caretake them, let's make sure we keep them from harm, let's keep them out of you know, situations where they might be you know, made to feel less than compared to those who are able-bodied. No, <laughs> the, the surprising and the delighting finding is if we give these folks the opportunity to play and, and feel normal and delight in what their bodies are capable of doing, they'll actually be so grateful, so happy, and we'll need to make more of it. So I, I think that's what I would say is get, you get more of what you platform is find that thing in your nonprofit that is something that would surprise and delight the majority of people. Grab that thing, seize it, and make it as public and as visible as you possibly can to those around your nonprofit. I know that's a great one. I think that's something that people ought to do more. And I, I don't think nonprofits always really think that through proactively. So we're really good. All right. Law 39 is entitled Measure What Matters. There's actually a great book out there entitled that exact Measure What Matters. I recommend people to read that book, but obviously in your book, in your chapter, you point out how it's so important that nonprofits have a clear system of measuring their impact. Again, I, I couldn't agree more. In fact, we've had people on the show talk about how this next generation, when they're giving to nonprofits, probably more than ever, they want to know what is the impact you're making with the money I'm giving you. They want to know that. And so I do think this should be a law, if you will, for nonprofits. So what would you say are the key steps leaders need to take to implement this law into their nonprofit? Yeah, in this whole section, Rob, I draw a lot on what's called lean methodology. And the nonprofit world can really benefit huge by picking up all the last, you know, it's really three decades of great literature on this methodology called lean. Not to get too far into it, but it really, it started with Toyota back in the 1940s. The assembly line that Ford came up with was really just not working anymore. You've got Taichi Ono, who is the founder of Lean within Toyota, said, you know what? We, we can actually improve upon the conveyor belt assembly line system that Ford came up with, given the complexity of cars, changing everything. Let's come up with this way of mobilizing our own workforce to continuously improve and solve problems. And that continuous improvement actually works out in the reduction of waste. So all this to say, measuring what matters really is about following that lean methodology of defining impact, of defining value in terms of your end user 
in a in a for-profit business, that would be the customer. In a nonprofit, that would be the beneficiary. So if we're a homeless shelter, it would be that resident who actually stays at the shelter. If it were a food pantry, it would be the, the family that comes in to get those resources that they need. Whatever your beneficiary values, that's the value, that's the impact, and it's defining value in terms of that. And eliminating everything you possibly can aside from that, that's that's technically waste. Toyota actually identified there are eight kinds of waste, eight wastes that you want to get rid of as an organization. So measuring what matters really is about figuring out what are those things that your customer, that your beneficiary values most, finding a way to measure those in real time. Now, I'll say that this can change over time for an organization. Oftentimes, I lead a nonprofits through what's called a from to exercise, going from one way of doing things to another. And they end up defining their key performance indicators, those KPIs, in terms of the five to seven things that matter most to to achieve that from to that the organization is trying to achieve. So really, I would say to nonprofits that are trying to figure out what exactly to measure Try not to get out of your own, try to get out of your own way when it comes to you know defining that perfect thing to measure. Define those things that are going to allow you and your staff to have the conversations that matter to continuously improve. What are those five to seven things that you want to always be talking about that allow for that continuous improvement journey to take place? Uh, well said, and I think that's something again we can all get better at is becoming a little more lean. And I think maybe this would be one last question. For uh, my listeners, you know, as we think about looking into the future, we think about the challenges facing the nonprofit sector. We just are, you know, coming out of this COVID pandemic period of time. What would you say are the biggest challenges facing the nonprofit sector right now? Yeah, impact obviously is this word that I grab onto. So that's going to be part of my answer for sure. I think there's an accountability crisis coming for the nonprofit sector. Basically, this experiment that started in the 1940s of the nonprofit world being a third sector. You know, there was a time when it was really just government and the private sector. And, you know, there were a series of events that took place between the 40s and the 70s that created this third sector. And with everything going on in the world, globalization, the fact that governments actually play the role that the nonprofit sector does in many areas, there is a a day in court coming for the nonprofit sector to say, does this $2.2 trillion flowing through the nonprofit world really have the impact on society that you know, warrants this? Uh, $2.2 trillion, just think about that. $470 billion given charitably to the nonprofit world that make up you know, a, a fourth of that $2 trillion flowing through the nonprofit world. Do we still have homelessness? Yes. Do we still have you know, poverty, absolutely. Food insecurity, sure. Human trafficking, anything that you can name that is something the nonprofit world needs to address still is a part of our world in a really big way. So um, that's really why I do what I do, Rob. I want to make those $2 million work harder. I want to make the hundreds of millions of volunteer hours that are going through the nonprofit world have more impact because I, it's no longer are we in the easy breezy days of the 70s, 80s, and 90s when you know, we can just you know, have big hearts and make our best effort. And whether we have impact or not, hey, it's fine. We're, we're not in those days anymore. We owe the world impact and results for these funds, these hours, these monies, and we need to do better with that. So that's, that's what I'm trying to do, help, help nonprofit leaders maximize the world-changing impact. I love that. I, I resonate with that fully. 
It's actually one of the same reasons I have this podcast for that exact reason. So again, thanks for sharing your insights on the show with my listeners. And now if people uh, want to find out a little bit more about your book and then your organization, which you mentioned on the outset, how would they find out more about you, your organization, and your book? Honestly, I would encourage any of your listeners to just email me, Derek, D-E-R-I-K, at SparrowNS.com. Sparrow Nonprofit Solutions is my company. And uh, it could also go to SparrowNS.com and, uh, and find us there. Perfect. Okay. That's great. Thanks for offering your email. That'll, you may get some emails here in the next few days, but thank you again for being on the show. And thanks for all you're doing to build up the nonprofit sector. I couldn't agree with you more that now more than ever, I think leadership is demanded of us as leaders in the nonprofit sector and organizations. People have invested in the nonprofit sector. And so we need to show up, right? And, and make good on the investment people have given to us. So again, thank you for all you're doing. And thanks for this book that you're sharing with all of us. Hey, thanks for having me on, Rob. And thank you for all you're doing. I mean, you're helping nonprofit leaders all around the world, the country, up their game. Thank you for everything that you do. Hey, friends. Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community, find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.